Hey guys, before we jump into today's episode, I wanted to let you know that doors are now open for our signature accelerator program. We are doing a major deal for this promo period where you get Critical Care Academy's CCRN review course absolutely for free as a bonus if you join us before May 4th. Our signature program is special because it's a one-time investment for lifetime access. There are no recurring fees. We want you to start this process early. So if you're in nursing school or if you are just starting the school search process, this is absolutely perfect for you. We walk you through picking schools, writing your resume, making sure you have all those boosters to make you stand out. We've got over 20 hours of video lessons along with an entire downloads vault of swipe files and templates. And of course, over 50% of the program is interview prep. We have five on-demand mock interviews. And then of course, a huge part of this is every month we have office hours where you can bring your questions and get answers. We have essay office hours with our expert developmental editor, Dr. Diane Katie. We have group mock interview practice labs, ad hoc guest speakers like SRNAs and other faculty. It really is a comprehensive program. And once you are in, you are in for life. You can head to the crnaclub.com to check it out. And again, the CCRN review course as a bonus, that ends on May 4th. So if you are on the fence, shoot me a DM at the CRNA club. I am hanging out there. But otherwise, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome, Michelle. Everybody, we have Michelle Miller on the CRNA club podcast today. Thank you so much for joining us, Michelle. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yes, and so I'll give you a little brief introduction here, but Michelle and I are in a membership together, and I watched one of her webinars that she did on how to become a good storyteller, and Michelle is an actress, she's a communications coach, you have your own podcast, Mentors on the Mic, and you help people with honing in on their communication skills. So thank you so much for coming on here to to talk to our students about how to become better storytellers and better confident speakers. Thank you. Yeah, I love talking about it. So this is something, I mean, you kind of touched on it, but I had all this experience and training as an actress, and it was only a few years ago that I was like, oh, a lot of these skills I can hone in on and study and practice and teach and communicate with others so that other people can become better communicators and storytellers. And so it's very exciting for me, and I really enjoy doing it. Mm -hmm. And do you find that a lot of the people that you work with are from all walks of life. I'm sure you work with actresses, actors, and then also professionals as well. So who do you kind of work with today? Is part of like, like my clients for communications, mm-hmm. you mean? Oh, mm-hmm. they run the mm-hmm. gamut. So it's everything from like, I've had doctors and nurses. I've had filmmakers, like documentary filmmakers and producers, um, people that are more in sales and then a couple people in finance, some actors, you know, it kind of just really run like I, I for a while I was thinking I would niche down and be like, oh, I'll just work on like people in the entertainment industry. You want to focus on it because that's a lot of the things that I do. My podcast is geared toward the entertainment industry, but I really love working with everybody. And, you know, I don't really want to 
focus too it like too much in on a certain subgroup because if anyone wants my help and if I can communicate with people and help them in their presentations and their in their you know just in storytelling in general in their interviews I mean all of it it's so important and it comes up all the time it comes up in our personal lives too so they're just people I have some people who I've been working with for quite a while and they just work on it like a skill set they're just like I want to get better at public speaking and so they'll just devote the time and energy to it as a whole even though they don't have anything specific that they want to prepare for so it sort of runs my uh runs the gamut on in terms of my client list I love that and it's also so applicable not to just to public speaking becoming a confident speaker allows you to respond just like in everyday situations that you kind of mentioned. So primarily the people listening to this podcast are nurses and people who are applying to very competitive graduate programs. And as a CRNA, we work in the operating room, which is very high stress environment. There are big personalities, right? You have these surgeons who are very intimidating, sometimes yelling at you, asking you what's happening. And sometimes you don't know when you're trying to figure it out. And so being able to respond calmly, confidently, being able to think clear headed, and respond with like a high EQ answer. That's one of the things we talk a lot about is having emotional intelligence, but being able to respond in a way that is very confident and controlled really helps people portray that expertise. So that is one big thing I noticed that I work on a lot is like my communication skills with like the intraoperative team and how that affects how they view me. So I want to jump in to how can we be better storytellers and interviewers specifically for our listeners who are coming into a very high stress situation and interviewing for CRNA school. So I'll give you a little background, but the application process is very competitive. So once you get that interview, you're like, I've been waiting two years for this. This is my shot. Like I have 15 minutes, like this is my moment. And there's a lot of mental prep that goes into it. You're preparing for emotional intelligence questions. You're also preparing for really difficult clinical questions that Mm. you're worried you might not know the answer to. So the first question I have for you is how do you handle or what are some pieces of advice you have for applicants who are going to go into um, an interview and want to feel calm and kind of calm their Mm. nerves and try to take a deep breath and how, what are some things that we could do to get our mindset right as we're going into this interview? I love it. So first of all, yes, there are different ways to calm down. I I want to preface this by saying that when we enter these type of situations that are stressful, such as an interview, such as a very intense conversation you're going to have with a boss or an employer, any of those type of conversations, we actually, our, our body reacts to it in the fight or flight response and sometimes freeze, but fight or flight usually. And so our adrenaline goes up, our, you know, it's our nervous system is, is hit really hard. And so we have to combat that with all these different tools. So a couple things that I suggest is energize and activate and also relax. So those are three different things, but we'll, we'll just go into a couple. But specifically for energize or activating your body, you want to do things that take all of that tension, all of that stress that our body is going to, all of that, we call it nerves, but it could also be the same, the same sort of um, uh, symptoms as excitement, right? So we have all these things that are happening, our, our pulse is racing, maybe our heart is beating faster, all those nerves, and we want to do something with it. 
And so that's what, that's where activate and energize. And so that all, that, that could be as simple as doing jumping jacks in the staircase, like on the way to, like, I don't know if these are in person or virtual or both, but just do something where you're taking those nerves and you're moving them throughout your body. This is as simple as a dance party, right? I tell people, please just put on a song, put on one of your favorite songs and dance the entire song and dance with your whole body. So it's not just moving around like, you know, one, two, three, snapping. That's also great. Have fun with that. But really, I I almost want you to feel like you're pretending to be a modern dancer. I want you to use your entire body when you dance. I want you to use like it has to look silly so you can't be around people unless you are doing this with someone else. But use your whole body. And the reason why is because a lot of that tension gets stored in certain parts of our body. And it's different for everybody. But let's say they all come and they sort of like happen right in our chest and our torso, right? Or our heart beating or anything like that. Are the rest of our body, right, the blood is rushing to, like, certain, you know, to, like, our torso and our heart and, and try to, like, you know, for those particular organs. The rest of our body feels dead, right? So maybe what will happen then is the nerves manifest into, like, nervous, like, like where our cheeks are, are twitching. That's what happened. It used to happen to me all the time. I have some clients who it's all, all the tension forms in their shoulders, right? Some people, it happens right behind the knee. Some people, it happens in the neck. Our tension, like, gathers in certain points of our body. So dancing it out actually allows us to be fully connected to our body for a second. All of a sudden, that excitement gets that that gets sort of transferred everywhere in our body as opposed to these pockets that form these like nerve centers in our body which we're not even always aware of in the moment and in the interview. So that's a way to activate our body, energize. That's as simple as push-ups if you don't want to dance. That's as simple as shaking your body, shaking each limb. There's a theater exercise we used to do where we'd go like 87654321 with each limb, right? So you'd go like you'd shake out the left arm for 8 seconds then the right arm, then the right leg, then the left leg, and then you'd count down seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, and then you do six, five, four, three, two, one, and you go on, and all of a sudden your whole body feels activated, and it's not just nerves anymore. Um, and then the other thing is to create routine for relaxing. Now you think, oh, those are the opposite of each other. But they're both tools. They're both tools that we can use. Some people like to activate and then relax. Some people like to relax and then activate their body. But either way, you want to employ both of them. You want to practice your breathing because what happens is when we get nervous, when the fight or flight response is activated, we forget to breathe. We forget to you know, take full inhales of oxygen, honestly. So you just want to practice that. You want to be mindful. You want to practice mindfulness. So I do recommend meditating. I do recommend having some sort of routine that even on stressful days like interviews, you know that you can relax into that. You know you have maybe some sort of workout you're going to do, whether it's simple, something simple or a dance party or some sort of meditation or relaxation or journaling or anything that works for you that allows you to remind yourself to breathe. And this is as simple as like putting a YouTube video for five minutes and being like, I'm just going to listen to calming music or I'm going to listen to a guided meditation. Just do something that relaxes your whole body. And so, it, you know, I like to relax and then activate personally, but those are tools that we can use that when we're stressed out and we're freaking out and we're kind of having that sort of issue, it allows us to, it allows us to just be with our bodies again and, and just use tools, use specific tools that will help us. So I hope that makes, it was a long answer to that question, but um, and, and I guess the other thing I'll say is routine. We kind of, I kind of touched on it, but having a routine 
grounds you in, you know, in, in something so that even on stressful days, like when you have an interview, you have something every day that you have rely on and it becomes muscle memory. So if seven days of, you know, of the week, you're, you have this routine, whether it's five minutes of journaling and five minutes of breathing, then on days when you're stressed out, having that thing to sink back into is actually very calming for the body. You're like, oh, I've done this before. I know exactly how this feels. It's muscle memory. I know how it feels to relax for five minutes and get my mind off of this, and it'll help enormously. I know that, yes, when I'm nervous, I'm bouncing my knees. I'm bouncing and shaking. I'm fidgeting my hands. Even though maybe above the table I might be still, my lower body is just like out of control. I like the dance party. I find that, yeah, yeah, if you have time to go for a run, time to do something where you're moving your body, I totally agree. Yes. What about, what are your thoughts on like drinking coffee? Your nurses are big coffee drinkers. I have two cups in the morning before I even have breakfast. Probably not the healthiest thing, but that's just my, I wake up and do it. When you're already kind of in that fight or flight response, like say going to the interview, you think you already have enough adrenaline through your body that maybe coffee if it's part of your routine do it maybe have decaf or do you have any thought on that it's new so one thing we encourage our students all to do is exactly book mock interviews ahead of time and try to simulate that experience you know when we show up on a mock interview even if I've met the person before I'm pretending I don't I keep the small talk really minimal I do small talk as if I've never met them but I we try to simulate that real life like Zoom interview experience. I like that idea, though, though of like doing so extra smart. public speaking events, putting yourselves in situations that you might not yeah. feel comfortable with. Like even doing the podcast, the first podcast episode I did by myself, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so nervous. And it's just me in a room with a mic. But now I'm like, oh, I really enjoy this. Like, let me record them in, you know, in the car and stuff. So I totally agree. It's just a comfort level. Practice. It's just practice. I mean, if you think about it like actors, I mean, I, I speak from that experience, but as actors, you want to rehearse before you perform, right? And it's just, it doesn't sometimes like in the real world, you know, we don't lend, it doesn't lend itself as easily to like practice, right? You know, but we have to set those situations up for us as much as possible. And what happens with a mock interview, which is great, it's so wonderful that you do them, is that our bodies remember what it feels like in the mock interview, Right. So in the mock interview, if we're kind of a little nervous, but we're like, okay, we seem to have a handle on it. When the actual interview comes around, it's almost like our body goes, well, I've I've dealt with this before. This sounds familiar. There's a muscle memory component of like, okay, I have the experience. I know what it feels like to be in an interview. I've done it before, even if it was kind of fake and a mock interview, my body still knows what it's like. So just keep pushing yourself to have those moments that when those high intensity, very important things happen, it doesn't feel completely out of the realm of comfort because you've had a couple moments to compare that to. I, yeah, we try to get everybody to, to do a mock interview because that's the best way yeah, to totally prepare. So speaking of interviewing, so one of the things that people get asked about a lot is telling stories in many interviews, I'm sure, but particularly first year in high school interviews, they're asking questions like, tell me about a time you had to confront a colleague or a boss, or tell me about the most difficult time in your life, the time that you had the most stress you've ever had and how you coped with it. And really the heart behind these questions is faculty members are trying to get an idea of how you are going to do in the operating room, 
how you are going to work with surgeons, how you're going to respond to CRNA preceptors who you might not get along with all that great. Are you going to cause trouble? Are you going to talk back? Also, they want to know that you can handle the stress of being in a very intense program for three years. That is probably going to be one of the hardest things you've ever done. You know, there's a big problem with depression and even suicide now with medical students and um, people in these very intense medical graduate programs. And they want to see, do you have healthy coping mechanisms and do you have a good support system to get you through the next three years? So could you give us some examples of, I know that was a loaded question, but when we get asked some of these questions that start off with that prompt of, tell us about a time, tell us a story about when, how one might approach that question and tell a story that is concise and succinct and essentially tells people what they're looking for. Yeah. So I have a few tips. Um, I will start off by saying any of these tips I have, first of all, you don't need to do all of them. Sometimes in high intensity situations, even if you just remember one of them, great. Second, also before I say these tips, practice them, right? Practice being able to do this, like take these, you know, tips at your, your will and then, and then practice some of those questions you just mentioned and use some of these tips in practicing because then in the real sort of life situation when they ask you a question, even if it's a new question, you're like, wait, I didn't prepare for this. You'll remember some of them and it'll be easier to implement them because you've had practice. So I just want to say that before I go into it. Um, so some tips that I would I would recommend for successful storytelling. The first and foremost, and this is like any book will tell you this, any speak, any. I think public speaking coach would tell you this is to know your audience, really know who you're talking to. I'll give an example on my podcast. My podcast is geared for people who are starting in the industry and in the entertainment industry and those who have been moving up in the industry for quite a while. So there are times that my my guests will say something and I realize, well, my audience is not going to know that they have to define those terms. Right. There are certain you know, there's terminology, there's certain um concepts that might be new to someone who's just starting out in the entertainment industry. So I always try to remind them, remind my guests ahead of time, hey, you're speaking to an audience that may or may not know what you're talking about. Let's fill them in as we go and I'll remind them as we go. But it's important that in any interview situation, you're aware of who you're speaking to because you might not need to define certain things for them. So you don't need to get caught up in the, oh, uh, you know you know what I mean, right? Oh, the, the term that I just used. Oh, you know, you, you know they know, right? In this particular situation, anyone you're talking to they're aware of those terms you don't need to define them um and and but having a very clear idea of who you're talking to allows you to guide this allows you to guide the story from beginning middle to end so it is important to have a very strong understanding of okay these are people who are in the industry they know what they're talking about they don't need to to like define anything for them so take all that out the second one is having a clear objective. What is the point of you telling the story? So you might think, oh, well, the point is, is that they asked me and so I need to give an answer. But that's not really the point, right? The point maybe in this case is for them to know, like you said, and each question might have a lead, a different lead in, but some of them might, like you said, have, uh, they want to have a better idea if you're able to cope in in a stressful circumstance um so that's a specific goal that you want to make sure your story communicates right so in telling your story or in thinking of which one you want to tell in the room i want you to be really mindful of your objective okay well they really want me to know they really want to know from this 
that, you know, I have very strong coping mechanisms, let that guide your storytelling, right? Let you go back. Because if you don't have that clear idea of what you're trying to communicate by your story, you'll later go, wait, I told that story and it might have been a good story, but I don't think it communicated what I wanted them to know. And what we can do is work toward, I could tell the same story. I could tell a story about my first uh, childhood crush and I can say it in 15 different ways, right? Depending on what I want to communicate. Um, And so that's something I sometimes go over with my clients. I'll be like, hey, you know, take the same story and you can say it 15 different times with 15 different objectives. But the important thing is to know what is your intention in telling the story. Um, The third one I'd say is repetition. Feel free to use repetitive phrases that you feel like are very strong or effective. So if you say something Say it two or three more times because chances are those are the things that are really going to sink home with people. Um, Another really good tip is reflection points. So telling your audience what to feel, very much emphasizing this is the point that is important to me or um, this is where these people usually get hung up or my my coworkers used to get hung up or stuck and this is what I did instead, right? Find key phrases where you're really reflecting on whatever it is that your story is trying to achieve um, and be very sort of intentional about that. Use these key reflection points where you tell your audience what to feel or how you should feel at certain moments, if that makes sense. Um, and then the last thing I would recommend is... Every once in a while, and again, this is something you'd want to practice ahead of time, but remember to add what I call sensory info. And so this means like, you know, what you're seeing, what you're hearing, what you're smelling, what you're tasting, and what you're touching. And you might be like, Michelle, what are you talking about? Why would I include that in a story that I'm trying to tell these people to hire me? And I'll tell you why. Those are the things that actually really connect people with whatever it is you're trying to share with them. You want them to visualize what it is. You want them to, if you're talking about a time when you're in the OR and you're working with coworkers and a stressful thing happened, I want you to explain the moment so that they are immediately there. And the best way of doing that is to add these five senses, right? So you could be like, you know, I I, I smelled a certain acid in the air and I knew something was wrong. Or I heard the beeping of the, like, uh, I don't know the terms for this, but you guys would know, like the, someone flatlined and there's, the, there's a sound that comes with that. And, and you can explain that in your story, but right away, those sounds, those smells, and you don't have to go over, t- uh, like, you know, I definitely with my clients we'll have them list a ton but chances are in the moment you'll only think of one or two but those make you a stronger storyteller the the person receiving that story starts to visualize whatever it is they start taking their own experiences and remembering those sounds that they heard and those smells that they heard and they're right there transported with where you are in the room um so those are really key sort of um key tips I think that always I I believe help people tell stories in an effective way so those are some tips that I'd share I guess for now I could probably go on and on about them I love this the sights and smells and the sensory tip that you gave one of the best stories I had heard and storytelling isn't just for interviews it's for our essay as well and this one thing I hone I drive home with my students all the time. I'm like, start your essay with a good story, with a good hook. Like, let's keep them reading. Um, But Mm. I did a mock interview with a student one time, and he was a firefighter. And I asked him, tell me about a stressful situation. And he starts off, I remember. I remember my last fire. I was on the roof by myself, and I could hear the flames crackling, and I was sweating. And my foot went through the roof, Mm. 
and I knew I needed to find water. And I was just captivated. I was there. I was next to him trying to find water, smelling the smoke, wondering if I was going to die. Like I was, he told this story so well and I, it was just phenomenal. And and I think sometimes that's like a cultural thing too. Like some people culturally just, you tell stories and that's how we just pass down information from generation to generation. Sure. I think some people are just naturally better at it than others. For me, I, for example, I am not a good storyteller. I will try to tell a joke or tell a story and I'll deliver the punchline and they're like, what? And I'm like, it was funny. You guys don't get it. This is what happened. And they're like, I don't get the story. I'm no. like, oh. So I think it's a skill. Like for people like me who maybe aren't the best storytellers, what you said is key. You have to practice telling the story. And practice. again, exactly what you said. Don't just tell a good story because it's a good story. There has to be an objective behind it or else you're going to lose people in this long-winded story or they're going to for you're going you're going to forget what exactly. they asked you and at the end of the question you're going to be like, "Sorry, what was your question again?" because you're going to lose yourself. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And I think also like a a thing that I do with my clients or my membership or my classes is sometimes I'll have them do the same story. And I learned this from a previous um, company that I worked with, Energize Your Voice. I want to state that. But um, I call it the Cinderella story exercise. And And I don't always use Cinderella as an example. But the idea is that I ask people to say a story in three different ways with three different increments. So I'll say, okay, tell that story. Tell your personal story in three minutes. Tell your personal story in one minute. And tell your personal story in 30 seconds. And you start to see that people go, oh, no, now I have to take the most important things and condense it into a shorter version of it. And we all have the capabilities of doing it. And we all have the capabilities of doing it in different ways, right? So, for example, if you're telling the story of Cinderella, you might be telling it in three minutes and you feel totally relaxed. And then you tell it in one minute and you go, ah, I just told the story for a full 45 seconds and now I have to end it really quickly. So then your ending is quick. Your ending is, is you know, you have to make sure you finish that in a certain amount of time. As opposed to there are some people who are like, ah, I'm going to I'm going to rush the beginning and the middle because I imagine I won't have time to finish the story. And then all of a sudden, you have 35 seconds for the ending of the story and you're like oh now I have to milk this because I didn't give myself that much time to get here so you practice that you practice figuring out what's the most important things what's your intention what is it you want to share and figure out how to do that in very different ways and in different time increments and um, it's good for us to practice timed Telling, like timed retellings of stories or timed presentations because we learn what those times feel like in our body. So I'll often do like, I'll often have people start off a class with like, give a one minute bio or give a one minute version of what your week was and just tell me what it feels. I want them to really understand what does a minute feel like in their body. And then that'll help the long windedness, the, the idea of getting lost in your story because you start to go, I'm very aware of how much time I want to give myself for this. I like that a lot. I actually gave, we had when we spoke a couple of weeks ago and you gave me that tip, I passed that along and told that to somebody and said, I just spoke with Michelle just yesterday and she told me about getting this feel for a sense of time in our bodies. And in a high stakes situation, you have no idea how long you've been speaking because you're just kind of in this vortex. And I had given this advice to somebody who had given me like, a five minute answer to my very first question, which was like, tell me about yourself, which is such a broad question. 
and you can go in so many different directions, which is why it's so important to add like exactly what you mentioned, practice your responses in three minutes, one minute, 30 seconds to questions you know you're going to get asked. Um, so I, I love that, getting the sense of the, the feel in your body. So I wanted to ask you another question about what are some tangi- tangible tips, what are some takeaways that people can implement today regarding some things that they can work on in appearing more confident, sounding more confident? What are some, not hacks, but almost just real quick things that like, yeah, sit up straight, you know, pause. I know you're really good on pausing. Exactly. What are some things that we can do to, when we're practicing our responses to just appear and sound more confident? Perfect. So we call this in the industry executive presence. So what does that mean? So a lot of it just has to do with how you show up physically and vocally in a space. So if it's in person, there are certain tools for that, but we'll talk about this virtually for a second. So virtually, we want to make sure of a couple things. There are a couple things we could go into any virtual space and make sure and be mindful of. So one, like you said, sit up straight. So that's as simple as making sure that the like sit bones of your bottom are touching the ground or touching the ground are touching your chair and evenly distributed with weight. You want to make sure your, you know, your legs are are sitting comfortably in front of you. I'm really not doing that at that exact moment, but I'm going to move it. Okay, so you have to make sure you know, make sure your your feet are straight down. Um, you want to make sure that your shoulders are rounded back. We tend to round them very easily to the front. So we want to just circle them, make sure that they're like right. Yeah, your mm-hmm. our shoulder blades are sort of aligned down and a little bit more back. Um, I tend to, before any sort of situation, any like interview or high intense situation, I'll just like uh, roll my shoulders back a couple times because I think we tend to very easily hold tension there. Um, Another tip we could do is uh, as simple as making sure that the camera is aligned with our eyes. So whatever that means for you, if that means like lifting your laptop and putting it on some books or putting it on some papers or like a shoebox or anything that allows that camera to be leveled with your eyes, that allows us to seem more confident. And I know that sounds kind of strange, but it's true. It gives us more presence. We're looking into the camera and our, our people are looking at us the same way. And so it's as simple as making sure that that camera doesn't look down on you or doesn't look up on you. Something as simple as that allows for more presence in the room. And then vocally, I mean, there are different exercises that we do with um, with people just to, to make sure vocally they show up and they have presence. And a lot of it is taking some sort of like phrase that you'll say, or even just to practice, we'll just say like, my name is Michelle Miller and I am an executive coach, right? So something as simple as that, whatever you want to say, and just say it with intention Say it so that the the vo- the audio kind of goes to the far corners of the room, right? So in this case, this room is over here. I see the corners here and here. And so my audio, when I say that, my name is Michelle Miller and I'm an executive coach. We want that sound. We want a picture, almost like that sound, traveling to the corners of the room, right? And so what does that look like? Another way to do it is to make sure that that sound goes through your computer, right? So we want that sound to kind of not land somewhere in front of your keyboard. We want it to go and pierce through your computer. And I know this, this is very much like visualizing where your sound goes, but it does make a difference, right? So there's a difference between, I mean, this is all audio, so it's easier to do it this way, but 
there's a difference between my name is Michelle Miller and I'm a communications coach, right? So that, that audio that felt like it was just hitting my keyboard, right? As opposed to, hi, my name is Michelle Miller and I'm a communications coach. It's so nice to meet you. Right. There's this element of this is going through the computer, through to the space, to the person who I'm speaking to. Um, another thing, I mean, there's a couple things that I always like to work on, too, is, is to make sure when we do practice certain things that we don't um, we don't end our sentences going up. And it's, it's such a small detail, and I, I try not to always bring it up unless we're working together. But there is this element where people tend to answer things and then they kind of end it like a question. Right. So, hi, my name is Michelle Miller. And you're just like, why do I do that? I don't know. So you just want to practice that, yes. you just, especially with yes. our names. Like if we're saying, hi, my name is and this is what I'm working on. We tend to like go up at the end and so just to practice going down at the end. And, and that has more confidence and and uh, gravitas. If you I will. like that because it, it's yeah, you're not asking them a question. You're making a statement. You're appearing confident. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's what um, and last thing, sorry, I'll just, uh, now when you get me started, I just keep going, but um, making sure your hands are in the shot. So if you have this box in front of you that like people are talking to you in, you want to make sure that your hands are actually in the box, right? And it seems kind of silly, right? That you're visually like making sure your hands are in this like Zoom box or whatever it is you're presenting on. But chances are there is a difference and it's hard to obviously show this without, you'll be able to see me doing this, but it does look different when your hands are below where they're able to see you you're still moving but it just looks like you're moving <laughs> you're like a wiggly worm kind yeah, of like yeah. bobbing I'm like a wiggly worm and I'm talking but really we talk with our hands and I think that's part of communicating with people as well so I just would bring it up into the video and making sure you if you have points you use your hands to do the points you kind of show that you're telling the story but just all it is is a simple moving up your hands so it's in the camera and it does really change um, the power of what you're saying and communicating I agree yeah the zoom interviews and the virtual interviews really became popular during COVID and now they're sticking around. When I interviewed yeah. for school, everything was in person and right. it's harder to build connection. And we're really just trying to build connection with these faculty members. We're trying to stand out and give good answers, but also build connection. It's, it's hard to do over Zoom. So do you have any, like being more animated and you're showing your hands, that all helps show your personality. What about smiling or what are some like yeah is there too much body movement like how do we I'm sure you've done like a lot of zoom auditions and stuff too and I'm sure you have to exaggerate things when you're doing this over the computer versus in person they're able to pick up on those subtle nuances and kind of read your total body language a little bit more you find that over zoom we're having to just be a little extra for lack of a better word. You know, sometimes, yeah, I mean, really, like, the thing that's really missing is that in person we have eye contact. Eye contact is so key, right? People really connect with eye contact. They're able to really see you. I mean, right now we're looking at each other in video, but, you know, it's very different going like this and then, like, talking to you while looking straight at the camera instead and really Mm -hmm. connecting with someone. There is a difference, and so we're losing that. Um, So keep that in mind that everyone's experiencing that, right? We can do things to kind of alleviate some of that, but everyone's going through this, right? It's hard to connect. We're just doing our best. Um, But yeah, all of those things we were just talking about, using our hands to communicate more. You definitely don't want frantic energy. You want to be able to practice. You want to be able to make sure that you're still contained in this box and you're not like going all over the place and kind of showing us a bit frenetic energy. But in general, yeah, I think our, our, I think a lot of 
what it is is um, there, it depends on the person, really. So there's some people who are just more animated and they're going to just have to practice bringing it down a little bit. And then there are people who are very, very, like, uncomfortable with this. And it's just it's they are going to have to work on animating themselves a little more. And so something like bringing your hands up and, and using gestures will help. But a lot of that is it's hard because it, it, there's no sort of general answer to that because everyone has a difference in how they show up. So be mindful of how you show up. Um, and, and maybe even have someone else explain to you, whether it's a coach or a friend, if you're someone who needs a little bit more things to animate them, maybe that's for you activating and energizing your body before a high intensity situation will help. Um, and then for people who are already like, I am wired right now. This is me. Like I'm, I'm going crazy. Then (laughs) relaxation exercises will help. So it kind of depends on the person. I like that. Yeah. We all, we can all think of people on the both ends of the spectrum, uh, some people we meet, you're like, hello, are you alive? Did you have coffee today? Right. And then other people, you get off the call with them and you're like, I'm energized. I'm ready to exactly. go. Like I absorb that person's energy because they're just so exactly. excited. Right. Um, so yes, we definitely all <laughs> fall within the skill somewhere there. I love that. Um, so the third, the last question I have for you, which is a big anxiety question for a lot of people. If somebody gets an interview question, and they are just blanking and they are just yes. so nervous. They know they know the answer. So typically this comes in the response of like a clinical question. Tell me about a tell me about how the heart pumps, like what's the blood flow in the heart? You're like, oh my gosh, I learned this in nursing school, but I'm just blanking right now. Yeah. How what are some things that we can do to try to recoup that answer or try to give a response, even if A, maybe we know the answer and we're just blanking, or B if we truly just don't know the answer, it's way above our head and, and we know we don't know. Right. So there's two answers to this. One is what happens in the moment and what, what can we do to help prevent these moments from happening, right? So in the moment, the things that we would do is embrace kind of what you said earlier, embrace the pause. Trust that you will come up with the answer. And that comes a, a little bit to do with my other thing, which is how we prepare for it. We prepare by practicing these type of mental agility exercises and being asked these questions and knowing that we will get to the answer, that we know it. So it's almost a reminder of we know this answer, just give us a second. And then don't don't worry too much about taking some time to catch your breath. A lot of freezing has to do with a lack of oxygen. So if anything you take away from this is in those moments, if you're freezing, if you're blanking, keep in mind that this is super normal. This happens. This happens to the best public speakers, by the way. Take a moment. Just remind yourself, I've got this, right? Because what happens is, and I'll just give a little sort of acting thing right now of like what it sounds like in our heads when these moments happen. It's, oh my God, I know this. Wait, hold on. I know this. I know this. Wait. Oh my God. Oh, this is taking too long. Oh, I'm blanking. I'm blanking. I'm freezing. Oh my God. Look, he's just looking at me like I'm crazy. I have no idea. Hold on. I know this answer, right? You're freaking out internally. To sort of combat that, just breathe. Remind yourself you have it. Remind yourself you know it. And even if you're taking that time and you feel them looking at you, understand it's not as long as you think. And even if it's 15 seconds for you to answer it, as long as your answer is impressive, I don't think they'll care how long it took for you to get to that answer. So just keep in mind you have it, you know it, don't freak out. Um, Remember also like studies show that, um, I think I mentioned this to you last time, but studies show that pauses that are upwards uh, or under five seconds are not even registered 
from the guest or the audience or the person you're speaking to. Meaning, if you have an answer and it's just taking you a while and you just, you know, you t- take a second and you go, okay, uh, hold on one second. You know, you just take a second. Four or five seconds can go by and the, and the person is not even re- receiving that it's a long pause. So meaning we can take way more pauses in our lives. And in fact, some of the best public speakers, if you think about it, are active users of the pause, right? I think of like uh, President Obama, right? He takes pauses all the time. Every three, four seconds, he has a short pause, right? When he speaks, some of the best public speakers have pauses in their speeches. So what we do is when we're nervous, we speed up. We just start ranting. We start talking. We're like, oh, okay. uh, I have the answer. Okay. Let me, uh, sorry. This is so silly, right? You start talking faster than you're thinking, just take a second. Remind yourself that you have this. Breathe in the moment and, and trust that it's going to come to you. And it might come to you in like in a pit of like black, like it feels like your mind went blank. Trust, just breathe and that answer will come to you. You just have to kind of calm yourself down and reassure yourself you got this. The other component, so I hope that helps in that in the moment, stressing out, freaking out stage, but the other thing to do to practice the, so that these moments don't happen is you have to practice exercises that remind you that you can trust yourself in those situations, right? In those situations, I can come up, right? So I do a lot of mental agility exercises with people. And there's a couple things that you can do at home that I, I do with clients all the time. So for example, um, do you guys, do you remember the, the game Scattergories? Mm-hmm. Scattergories. Mm-hmm. So there's like, you can literally look up Scattergories online. I do literally do this exercise with clients all the time. But you look up categories online, they give you a letter. And so for those of you who haven't played it, they give you a random letter and they give you a bunch of different categories, boys, names, um, toys, uh, names of uh, things in your medicine cabinet. And you have to come up with these answers that start with this letter. And it's practicing the idea of thinking on your feet. It's practicing recall. It's practicing being able to come up with answers that you didn't prepare for, but trust that you know what to do. And all it is is a trust. It's a confidence that we have to build over time. So practice different mental agility exercises. Practice mock interviews. Practice the questions that you know that could come to you. um, And just... It, it's a practice of the answer, but it's also a practice in the trust in yourself that you will get this, that you will know, that you will come up with an answer. And if for whatever reason you can't think of it, just own it. Just be like, okay, I don't know the answer to this one. And, you know, that's embarrassing and I'll look it up later. But I guess it's just it's not coming to me. And be aware that, like, we're human. These things happen. The problem is that how much we beat ourselves up but when we're not perfect. Um, but practice as much as you can ahead of time with trusting yourself that these answers will come to you if you just breathe and allow for that to come to you. I think that's all incredibly helpful for people to hear. Getting a sense of knowing that we're not going to always have the right answer is something that I repeat over and over again, but people don't seem to believe it. They're like, no, everybody gets every answer, but I guarantee you, everybody who walks out of an interview was like, I didn't answer that right. Or I'm pretty sure that was wrong. Um, and then we that lets us, it gets in our head. But the main thing that I want people to take away when they're listening to, to that last piece that you mentioned is yep, owning it and not trying to lie and make it up, especially when it comes mm. to clinical responses. You don't know if they're asking you a question with the intention of knowing that you don't know it. 
um, just yes. to see how you respond. So if you don't know, one thing you could say is, hmm, I don't think I quite know the answer, but I'll give it a good shot. This is what I, I'm going to get take a stab at it. So this is actually also a tip from um, a faculty mem- member, Dr. Temmermond. She said, we know that you don't always know, but if you preface it with, this might not be right, then then they know that. They know you're not trying to make it up because the last thing we want is a student in the clinical space. We ask them a question and then they lie. They make it up. And then it makes us feel like, oh, I can't trust you. You're not being honest with me. I know you're a student. You're not going to know all the answers. I need to know that, A, you know your boundaries and your limits, that if you don't know something, you're just going you're going to look it up and be honest. Um, that is a key thing that faculty members are trying to assess. Yeah, there is this element of fake it till you make it, but not when it comes to patient safety or making clinical decisions. It's, no, you need to know that you don't know the answer and be humble and not think that you're on this high horse and, no, I'll, I'll figure it out. Like, I'll just do this. So I like that. Yeah, just being honest. Like, oh, you know, I don't exactly know the correct answer, but this is what I do know about that. This is what I can exactly. tell you. Exactly. And think about the people you're going to want to work with one day. You're going to want to work with the people who won't lie if they don't know the answer to something. You want that person who's like, hey, you know, Michelle, <laughs> well, what, what's what's the amount? What's the dosage I need to do yeah. for this again? Yeah. Let me check in with you, yeah. right? There's this element of like, we're not perfect. We only have, you know, and I always tell people I used to teach a lot. And um, I, I remember thinking when I was I was teaching kids for many years, and I remember thinking, like, everyone has their strengths and weaknesses, right? So just because someone's really good about certain things doesn't mean that they're not good at other things. So what I mean by that is just to be mindful of not comparing ourselves to this ideal version of ourselves, right? We, we're made up of things of, of, let's say, just knowledge of this, right? You're, you're made up of a certain amount of knowledge. You know a lot of things about all this stuff. You might not know some of these things, but owning that is fine, right? We know a lot about a lot of different things. And keep in mind, I, don't, I, th- I hope that makes sense, but it's this idea that we can't know everything um, and be confident and, and understanding and forgiving of yourself of what you do know um, and be very open of what you don't know. And that's the only way we're all going to learn anyway, is to just be available to, to know that we're just, we're, we're not perfect and we don't know everything. And that's okay. It is absolutely okay. And now uh, we have computers in our pockets, right? So every day, true. maybe not every day, but many times a week, I'm referencing something. I'm looking something. I'm looking for an article on the computer. I'm looking for, yeah, the dose for a particular case or what type of block is best for a particular surgery. And it's impossible for us to retain all that knowledge and information, but we know where to find it. So exactly. I think that's that's incredi- an incredibly good point. We all have our strengths and weaknesses, and we can't be too hard on ourselves and compare to every other person who is also comparing themselves to us, too. So Exactly. Well, thank you so much, Michelle. This was incredibly helpful. Every time I speak with you, I learn so much. And you gave us some great tips and actionable takeaways and things that we can start to practice in the meantime, even if we haven't scored an interview, we can just, we can start practicing now. We can insert ourselves intentionally into situations and see how we can respond and create habits and calm our nerves. So those are just great things to just start practicing 
you know, six months before your application is due, just so when the time comes and you get that interview email notification, you're not like, oh my gosh, two weeks, I have to study all this clinical stuff and somehow and, become a confident speaker. Mm. So I think it's so, so well said, incredibly important. So if people want to work with you one-on-one or learn to become a better, better speaker or presenter, or even just prep for their interview, do you have any services or ways that our students can work with you? Yeah, so there are different ways to work with me. Um, the best way is one-on-one coaching. So then I can tailor it to what you specifically need and do mock interviews as well and mental agility exercises that fit your needs. And so then I, I do that sort of in a package of three three sessions, uh, five sessions or ten sessions, depending on what you need and how many areas of focus you want to work on. Um, and then I also have a membership where every month I meet twice a month with Um, different people in different industries, mind you, and we focus on different exercises. And so it's two hours a month. If, if only one person shows up, then it's almost like a private lesson. If everybody shows up, then it's like a really great group discussion. And and I use practical exercises like, you know, the categories game or, you know, try this story in one minute, try the story in three minutes. So we do different exercises that have us work. It's very interactive. It's not just me talking the whole time. And you also, you're on Instagram, or should we find you on our your website? Where could we find you? Yeah, my Instagram, it's much easier on Instagram, at Michelle Simone Miller. Okay, I'll link, I'll, I'll link that below. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for coming to speak with us today. I am so excited. I hope all of our students will get to take advantage of working with you at some point because we focus a lot on the clinical prep and trying to get people prepared for what types of questions they get asked. But to be honest, we don't do a great job preparing them to deliver. And I think that's Mm. just because not many people are good at it. Like I'm not an expert in delivery. And I think that's totally your, that's totally your forte and something that you could really help a lot of people with. So thank you so much. Thanks so much for coming on, Michelle. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. This has been great.